You know, during the campaign, the sitting president said over and over again these words. We need to make America, make America great again. Somebody gave me a hat <laughs> that had on it, make America great again. I wore it once because I don't wear hats. But anyway, um, I, I know what he was saying. And I agree with what he's saying. America needs to be great again economically. I agree with that. The middle class, the poor, all of us, we need we need to be great again uh, uh, economically. Certainly we need to be great again um, militarily so that we'll be able to let our enemies know that we're not going to run and hide, that we're going to stand strong, and we're already doing that. And fe- fight. In fact, you know, you hadn't heard too much about ISIS, have you? You know why? They're, they're, they're surrounded in one little section of Mosul and about to be wiped out. Oh, yeah. As a state, they're going to cease to exist in, in that part of the country. And said that we need to be great again and that we have world influence and world power. Uh, and and uh, great again in that we realize the government is for the people and by the people. That America does not belong to the government. America belongs to the people. So I, I, I agree with much of that. I mean, I think it's good. But my, my, I'm coming from a totally different direction today on how to, make a, how to make America great again. I want to come from a spiritual standpoint. Because if we become great politically, if we become great economically, militarily, and all those ways, and continue the way we're going spiritually, it won't matter. It won't matter. So what America needs is to become great again spiritually. Now, what I want to ask you is, and and here's my challenge to you, what can you do to make America great again spiritually? What can you do? Is there anything you can do to once again make America great spiritually? Let me just give you a few verses. I'm just going to read these, and then I'm going to get into my first point is, in in the beginning, America was great spiritually. First one is Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. What part of that don't we understand? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen for his inheritance. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Verse 27 of that same psalm. Well, look at this. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord needs to come back upon this land. And then in in Proverbs 29, 2, this is good. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. All right, then we got another one. Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman 
stays awake in vain. What can we do to make America great again spiritually? Now the question is, was there ever a time in the history of America that goes back to the founding fathers that America was a great nation? And the answer is yes. There's no question that America was first settled by Puritans and pilgrims and others for the sole purpose of being able to worship Jesus Christ out from under the control of the state church of England. And America was founded as a Christian nation. There's no question about that. Now what they've done is this. Humanism and secularism has systematically removed from all of our history books that are taught in public schools all mention of our founding fathers, all mention of the great heritage we had, uh, by, that m many and most of those who were the founding fathers of our nation were not only Christian, but they were ordained ministers. And that our first schools, dame schools, were taught to teach, were, were formed to teach people to read, children to read the Bible. Harvard and Princeton were found as seminaries to train men for the ministry. And now they're the bastions of liberal and liberal humanism. But I can say to you, being totally accurate, that America had a great foundation. It was founded on the Bible, the Word of God. It was founded on the Lordship and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's no question about it. I would suggest that you, if you know how to operate an iPad or something, just Google um, uh, uh, One Nation Under God, and, and the author's name is O.Z., the last name. And it, and it starts out like it's in 2023. And you wonder where he's going, but he goes back and shows. But he does one of the greatest jobs I've ever seen of showing the, hist the historical proof of America's foundation as a Christian nation. It it's, a it's unbelievable. Man, he just makes it so, it's so easy to read because you're caught up and as he goes back and sees how the where this nation was, quote, in 2023, but where it started. I encourage you. You, you, you can find it. It really helped me to understand our foundation. I could quote Washington. I could quote his great prayer. I could quote Franklin, a lot of other people. But I'm just going to quote one. Uh, Patrick Henry. All I remember in history when I was taking history in school was Patrick Henry was the man who said, y'all know what he said? Give me liberty or give me... Y'all learned that too. I mean... But you know, he said something far better than that. I want you to listen. He was a great orator as well as a great, a great statesman. Now listen to what Patrick Henry said. It cannot be emphasized too strongly and too often that this great nation was not founded by religionists, but by Christians. Not a religion, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boy, you can't beat that. He said it wasn't founded by a bunch of religiousness to form a religion, but it was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, um, I've always heard of the statement of the Frenchman 
Alexis de Tocqueville, who um, came over to America. He was a French historian, scientist, and diplomat. But he came from France, and he was visited the prisons in America, and he visited the nation. And he, he made a famous quote. In fact, the pastor last night uh, quoted it in his message on Daystar. But I had it first, so it's mine. But anyway, <laughs> I've always heard this, and I, I just kept looking to find it, and I found it on the Internet. Listen to what he said. This was a Frenchman. I don't know if he was saved or not. He was a religious man. Now, this, this is so profound. He said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields, her boundless forest, in her rich mines, her, in, in, in her vast world commerce, in her public school system, and in institutions of learning. I sought the genius of America's greatness in its democratic Congress and its massless constitution. But not until I went into the churches of America and heard the pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of the genius of the greatness and power of America. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. That was quite a statement. And you notice de Tocqueville said he saw Americans' greatness in the pulpits in the churches that were aflame with righteousness. Man, they weren't preaching feel-good sermons. Seven ways to get a Rolex. Seven ways to be liked by other people. Man, they were preaching righteousness. And it was upon that kind of preaching of righteousness and holiness and the majesty and awesome of God that was the foundation of our nation. And also, he made one other statement that I thought was profound. And, and you know, this is a, a man outside observing. I want you to listen to what he said. And I believe this was true back in the beginning. It's far from the truth now. But back in the beginning, it says, There is no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. Its importance is, powerful, its importance is powerfully felt on one of the most enlightened and free nations in the world. He said, I've never known a nation where religion, Christianity, had the influence on the souls of men like the Christianity in the early years of our nation. So there was a time when America was great. It, I believe that. I, I mean, I'm not trying to just work something up. I believe history, history supports it. Everything I read documents it. And so I believe we're, we're here today because of that foundation. And it's still lingering to a point. But it has been greatly eroded. You say, all right, Brother Fred. If America was great, what, why did America lose its greatness? What happened? Mo America is no longer a great nation spiritually. No longer. In fact, we're pathetic spiritually. Pathetic. 
In fact, I believe spiritually, America is a stench in the nostrils of God. I really believe that. All that has occurred and all that's going on today in our world, full of lies, it is obvious that it grieves the heart of God. And it catches the attention of a holy God. You see, but what happened? I'm going to tell you why I believe it happened. You know, you know where it all started? In the apostasy of American religion. It started in the church house. When the, the apostasy of organized religion in America became a reality. Now you say, Brother Fred, what is apostasy? Apostasy is this. is when one rejects, renounces, or no longer believes what he once believed. In other words, he falls away from what he, he used to believe. He renounces it. He rejects it. And he turns away from what he originally believes. And sometimes, often, rebels against it. So there's no question that American religion, over the last 75 years has more and more become apostate. It has renounced. It has turned away from that which it originally confessed and believed. And I'm going to show you exactly how it has done it. You know, Jude warns us that it was going to happen. He warned that there was going to be an apostasy, a renouncing, a rejection, a turning away from what was the true gospel and what was originally believed. In Jude chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, it is very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write you, to exhort you, to contend earnestly for the faith. He said, now I'm telling you, there's going to be a falling away. I want you to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once and all delivered to the saints. And then he goes on and says... For certain men, I knew some of them, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for, con for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jude said there's going to come a day that people are going to creep in to the organized religion and they're going to lead people on the wrong path and they're going to even deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, you know, Paul warned against it. He said there's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be a falling away among religion. He said in, in second, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, <laughs> giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Wow. He said, they're going to depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of de de demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hard iron. So we should not be alarmed that there has been and is a falling away and that there is an apostasy. The organized religion in America today has no similarity to organize religion in America 75 years ago. No similarity whatsoever. 
What we have today is an apostate religious community in America. You know, Jesus in speaking to the seven churches, for example, the church at Sardis, which is the next to the last church at the end of the age, or close to it, listen to what Jesus said about that church in Revelation 3.1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know, you have, I know your works. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Woo. Jesus said, I know all about you. You got a name that you're alive, but you are dead. That's a pretty strong statement. And he goes on and says in verse 2, Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have, found your, I have not found your works perfect before God. Sardis is an example of an apostate religion. And then, of course, the great picture of it is found in the church at Laodicea. You remember that? Where, where, look at this. And, and this is an apostate church. This is the apostasy of religion. A renouncing. A turning away from what one formerly believed and no longer believing it. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works. Hey, by the way, God knows the works of all the religious organizations in Mobile. He knows, the, he knows all the works of Luke 418 Fellowship. Uh, God is not <laughs> closing his eyes and hiding it. He knows exactly what's going on in everything, including the religious world. I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. You know, do you understand what God just said? I'd rather you be cold, dead cold like a dead fish, or hot like a firecracker. No, that's not a good word. Hot, but anyway, hot like a firecracker. Because when, you, when you're lukewarm, you make me sick. Do you like to eat lukewarm food? Do you know? Uh-uh. I don't like lukewarm food. You ever ate a lukewarm enchilada? It'll, it'll absolutely want you make, make you want to throw up. And Jesus is trying to say, listen, if you're going to follow me, if you're not going to follow me, just be as cold as an iceberg. But if you are going to follow me, then be on fire. But I'm telling you, you make me sick when you're lukewarm. You say, Brother Fred, I'm not cold. I'm not hot. Well, what are you? You see, that Laodicean church was deceived. So then because you're lukewarm, let me go back and let me read that. So then because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, thinking of all the seeker-friendly churches, all the churches that have watered down the gospel and say I'm okay and you're okay and you do good all roads lead to heaven just be nice to your neighbor just do you know come on give me a break all that stuff because I, you say I'm rich I'm wealthy I have need of nothing well if you don't need anything God won't give you anything but you know look how deceived they were this is Jesus you do not know that you are poor that you do not know that you're wretched miserable poor blind and naked boy we're rich and increased with goods and need anything jesus said you're looking in the wrong mirror 
You need to go over here and realize that you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I pray to you, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your naked may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. And he goes on and says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He said, repent. Be eager to repent. But guess what? He's not inside the church. He's on the outside trying to get in. <laughs> you know what? Jesus is outside of most of the religion in America knocking on the door. They say, we don't need you, Jesus. We got it under control. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking about organized religion. He's talking about the church. He's talking about a Laodicean church that was deceived. I am rich, increased good. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. Dine with him and he with me. He said, You can repent. You can turn from your wickedness. I'll come in. But they just problem is they won't let him in. <laughs> they, got, they got it all figured out. You see, the, the, uh, the apostate church, um, <laughs> it, it doesn't know anything at all about... Uh, Righteousness and holiness. Well, uh, let, let me tell you what are the characteristics of an apostate religion. I, I just can only, I'm going to give you about uh, three. And, and there are people that watch by, by television. Maybe they don't go to church. Maybe they go to church. But everybody who attends a church, you need to find out one thing. What do they believe? What do they preach? What do they practice? You need to test it all by the word of God. No, you don't understand. I was raised that way. You can be raised that way and go to hell with everybody else. No, you'd be foolish to belong to any church that you do not know what they believe. You must know what they believe. If you're raising children in that church, you sure don't want to raise your children in an apostate church where there's no life and no power. God have mercy on you. Yeah, but you know, my grandma went there. But you know, my grandma might have been saved. And that church changed a lot since grandma came along. You, you can't go to heaven on grandma's faith. You better find out what your own faith is and what you believe yourself. For example, an apostate church denies the authority of the Word of God. They do not say, this is the infallible, inerrant Word of God Truth without any error, absolute truth, and the one authority and guide for the body of Christ. They do not believe in the total authority of the Word of God, and they do not believe in its miracles. They do not believe in the way it calls people to live. In other words, it's a nice thing to have. They take parts of the Bible, but they do not believe all the Bible. Once you stop believing in the complete and total inspiration of the Scripture, you have become an apostate. You have. You've become an apostate. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, look at it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Let me tell you one thing. Find out what the church you attend believes about the Bible. Do they believe it is the infallible, authoritative Word of God and everything they do as a church has to be done in light of the judgment eye of the Word of God? I never will forget when Southern Baptists were fighting the battle over the Bible 
I never will forget that we had a meeting of about 18 people. And um, Paige Patterson gave a discourse on why we believe the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant word of God. And did a masterful job. Then they got this guy who was in El Dorado, who, El Dorado, Arkansas, who, who's supposed to be smart. But anyway, oh, he, he went along and in the first part of it, he just said this and this. And he said, you know, but now you need to understand that what's important is the gospel. That's what we believe, the gospel. He said, now the gospel is in the Bible. But the Bible is not the gospel. You need to understand that the Bible is not the word of God. It contains the word of God. I wanted to go slap his face. I'm not stupid. You say it contains the word of God, then you've got to tell me what part is and what part's not. I don't want you trying to, to tell me, well, oh, oh that, that, that's not the gospel. That's, oh, that is the God, baloney. It's an apostate church when it denies the authority of the word of God and it'll be that way and God will judge it. Is that clear? An apostate church does not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. And by the way, there are a lot of nice dressed Baptists who don't believe Jesus is the only way. You pin them down. They say, Brother Fred, you know a sincere Jew or a sincere so-and-so or a good moral man. You know he's going to go to heaven. Baloney, that's not in the Bible. Listen, if, you, if, if, if all ways lead to heaven, and if you were good and sincere and right, that meant you were, you were going to be fine. Why in the world did Jesus die on the cross? See, they have to deny the word of God to teach that. I mean, li listen to, to, to um, Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. They had just gotten out of jail because they were preaching that Jesus was the only way to be saved. And Acts chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. Boy, I love this. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here whole. And then they said, and this is the stone which you Jews have, the, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, but he's become the chief cornerstone. And then they said it, nor is there salvation in any other. D let's say that together. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Well, you know, Brother Fred, I think if you're sincere, you can be sincere and go to hell. Folks, let me tell you something. Why do they gather and worship if they don't believe Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation? What about the cross? What about the resurrection? What about what Jesus said in John 14, 6? He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to God but through me. An apostate church denies the inerrancy and authority of the word of God. An apostate religion denies that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. And without him, there is no Savior. And an apostate church no longer preaches the gospel that calls people to live a righteous and a godly and a holy life. Let me tell you something. There's a feel-good gospel, you know. I like to feel good. I feel good when I know my sins are forgiven. Woo! Hallelujah. I feel real good. But oh no, you go in there and say, I'm okay and you're okay. 
when the tough get going, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's humanism, man. Where's Jesus at in the whole thing? And they preach this little play, watered down, palatable gospel that won't make anybody upset. There was a guy that was attending a church in Houston. I won't tell you which one it was, but there was attending a church in Houston. He said, I like this church. I used to go to church and be convicted, but now I feel good when I go and gamble at the boats. Don't bother me anymore. I'll tell you one thing. If a church never preaches that you need to live a holy life and a righteous life and a godly life, and a life that pleases Jesus, the life that hates sin and loves righteousness, if it never calls you to repent of your wickedness and turn totally to Jesus for His forgiveness, if it never calls you to a holy life, it is an apostate church. I don't care what else it preaches, it's an apostate church. And when I listen to people on television, I want to see, I hardly ever hear anybody call anybody to repent. Never. Look, hey, you're living with somebody and you're not married to them. That's fornication. You need to repent and move out. And if you're going to get married, get married. Then they say, well, you know, we need to be, we need to be tolerant. Tolerant. You can be tolerant and people can go to hell. I'm telling you, listen to me. Jesus calls us to righteousness and holiness. Listen to this. I want you to listen to this verse. What part of this do we not understand? Somebody tell me. Titus 2, 11 through 13. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us. Oh, they say, there's the, they say the grace of God. All of our sins were paid for on the cross. They were. All of our sins are under the blood of Jesus. They are. And so therefore it doesn't matter how I live because all my sins have been taken care of. That's called cheap grace. It's called cheap grace. It's called a false doctrine of grace because the grace of God calls us to holiness. Look at this. How do you get around this? Teaching us that denying ungodliness, this is the grace of God. Teaching us that dying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Listen, the true body of Christ, the Bible calls people to repent and turn from their wicked ways. It says, cleanse yourself from the filthiness of the flesh and perfect holiness in the fear of God. My Lord, you're dibbling just like the world and think, well, it's okay. It is not okay. I'm telling you, the Bible says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, and it is of the world. And if you have the love of the world, you don't love the Father. That's an apostate church. People live like hell and feel comfortable. I hope if you've got sin in your life, you never feel comfortable when you come to this church. I pray you'll get under conviction and repent. All right, here's this. That was my first point under that. What time is it? I'm, I'm in good shape. Okay, so why, why, how did we lose our greatness? We've lost it. You say, I don't believe that, Brother Fred. Well, then you are living in another world on another planet. I'm telling you. If you don't know how wicked this nation is, you do not know what's going on. We know more than we need to know with the internet and the outer net and all that kind of junk. Here's a second reason we lost our greatness. Three isms. Three isms. Humanism, secularism, and hedonism. They became the fabric of society. Before the fabric of American society was 
The Bible, the Word of God, the church, the body of Christ, wasn't perfect, wasn't perfect. There were things in society that were wrong, yes, but at least the church was being the church. At least it was being light. At least it was being salt. At least the truth was being proclaimed and being lived. But oh, there was a deliberate agenda, a deliberate plan to undermine the authority of the Word of God and to steal the life out of the church. It was called humanism and secularism and hedonism. Now, humanism is this. That, by the way, bad news. There just to be used, there was just two humanist manifestos. Humanist manifesto one, humanist manifesto two. They came out with another one about a week ago. Humanist manifesto three. Now they said, as I was reading, one and two are just historical documents. If you read humanist manifest two, you'll read what happened to America if you read it. If you read it. But this one, this not, three, it's got all this flowery language, and it's. I read it. I said, you ain't said nothing yet. Say something. Look it up on the internet. One, two, and three. But humanism is theism. I'm quoting now. I'm quoting. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. That's right in Humanist Manifesto 2. There are no moral absolutes. Nothing is right or wrong within itself. Human experience and the situation determines if it's right are wrong. Any activity between two consenting adults is fine. Hey, you got to understand, that's been taught for the last 40 years. Push down people's throat. Push down people's throat. Push down people's throat. And by the way, they were the ones, along with American Civil Liberties Union, I, I wish I could get another name than that, but anyway, American Crazy Union, but anyway, what it is, is this. They, they had a deliberate thing to remove from our textbooks our, our heritage. And you get a textbook, and, and you won't find it in there. If you do, please bring it to me, and I want to write them and tell them how happy I am. But see, they've done that. And what they've done is they, they've just, when, you go, when your child goes to public school, now in the Bible Belt where we are, we have many real good godly Christian teachers. I thank God for every one of them. They lay down their life in the public school because there's no discipline. I, I mean, thank God. But I'm telling you, they're going to get a humanistic education. All the textbooks are humanism. All the science books are humanism. All the, it's, all, it's all humanism. Because this is what they said in Humanist Manifesto 2. The classroom is where we'll win the battle. We'll win the battle in the classroom. We will change the way the children and young people think. Now, I want you to think about this. We have a generation right now between 20 and 35 that were raised on humanism. No wonder they don't have any convictions. No wonder they don't believe that. No wonder they're calling wrong right and right wrong. That's all they, unless they were raised in a Christian home. That's all they've heard. They are now humanists. They don't even realize it. And buddy, you go to college, you go off to college, a secular university, my Lord, you can't find a Christian teacher within 500 miles. You may find one and you think, oh my Lord, he believes in Jesus. You say, well, I'm going to send my child to Alabama. Go ahead, he's going to be a humanist if you don't get him grounded in the Word of God. Well, say, I'm going to send him to Auburn. Go ahead. But if you don't ground him in the Word of God, he'll come out a humanist and he'll come home and tell you one day, I don't believe like you believe anymore. Well, what happened to you? 
That professor told me it wasn't right. I'm just a part of an, ev- part of an evolutionary process. Whoo! If you want to come from a monkey, that's fine with me, but I did, and I was created by God in his image. So you've got to understand that humanism has eaten the heart out, the heart of apostate religion that did not declare the truth with authority, and humanism that is, a, is, 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 is atheism has eaten the heart out of, 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 of biblical morality. There are no moral absolutes. Everybody does what's right in their own, own eyes. And I got really upset with what, what one of them said. Uh, they've removed it from the classrooms. They have a planned agenda. And, and, and secularism, I'm going to tell you what that is, that's removing God from all public life. We want a secular society. Well, what is a secular society? We don't want God mentioned in business. We don't want God mentioned in sport. We don't want God mentioned. Secular society means we take God out of it. We take God out of it. That's secularism. Humanism says there is no God. We're, 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 they call them non-theists. That means atheist. And the Bible says something about atheists. You know, they have a day they celebrate. Did you know that? Somebody that says there is no God, they have their holiday. You know what it is, don't you? April Fool's Day. <laughs> the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Well, don't you forget to celebrate that on April 1st. Celebrate that they'll repent so they won't go to hell. Humanism is atheism, secularism, separate God from public life and the public domain. And then there's hedonism. Uh, that's loving pleasure more than you love God. I want to show you, I won't take me but just a minute, but I want to show you this. In Romans chapter 1, humanism says we don't want anything to do with God. We don't even believe in him. No deity will save us. We've got to save ourselves. We're worshiping ourselves. Secularism says move him from all public life. We don't want any mention of God in the public life. I don't care what part it is. We're secularists. And the hedonist is they love pleasure more than they love God. But I want to tell you, Bible talked about him. And I want you to listen to it. God said, if you don't want to remember who I am, and if you don't want anything to do with me, I'll grant you your request. I want you to listen to what it says. In, in, in uh, Romans, and it's in uh, chapter 1, and um, it is verse uh, 16. It says, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is a confession. Go on to verse 17, okay? All right, and here it is. For the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven, from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. And then look at the next verse. Now, now you've you, you got to stay with me here because this is God dealing with humanism and God dealing with secularism and God dealing with hedonism. He's dealing with it right here. The Word of God is just absolutely sticking a, a knife in the heart of it. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Humanists suppress the truth. Secularists suppress the truth. Hedonism suppresses the truth. Apostate religion suppresses the truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because, now listen to this. 
Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Everything says there's a God. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Look at this world that God created. It, everything in it says there's a God. Being clearly seen by the things that are made. Even his eternal power. He said, let there be light and there was light. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without what? Excuse. He said, everything you need to know that there's a God. I've shown you. But look what he says. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they didn't want anything to do with him. They came vain in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now listen to this. <laughs> Pressing them, professing them to be wise, they became fools. You know, in, in, in a lot of the uh, universities, you know, they, you, you know, you got that professor and he's got a PhD. And man, you're supposed to, I mean, he's got the education. He's smart. He's real smart. And so you got to listen to him because he's got a PhD. Can I make a statement? What is a PhD anyway? Is it a degree in stupidity or ignorance? What is it? Now, if a man's a Christian and he believes the Bible and has a Ph.D., I'll listen to him. But I'm not listening to him because he's got a Ph.D. I'm listening because he's a Christian and believes the Bible. Well, you've got to listen to me. I've got a Ph.D. What does that mean, post-hole digger? I don't believe that. <laughs> I'm not impressed. But it goes on and says, and even that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them to a debased mind. God, you say, Brother Fred, some people in America are acting like they're crazy. I mean, where's all this coming from? All this weird stuff, all this, man, it's, it's unbelievable. Where's all this stuff coming from? Well, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, and it goes on and names all their sins. Okay, so... How did we lose our greatness spiritually? Apostasy of religion, the rise of humanism, secularism, and hedonism. And I'm going to just run by this one quick. The, the Supreme Court imposing on us wickedness and unrighteousness. You know, the, the, you know, the government is supposed to legislate righteousness, right? Help people do what's right. Righteousness exalts a nation. When the righteous rule. But Supreme Court, they've legislated wickedness. So in 1962, guess what they did? Said you can't pray in school. Well, they were saying, well, you can't have an organized prayer written by the state. Well, I agree with that. Okay, so we won't do that. But then we can just say our own prayer. The teacher can lead in our own prayer. We won't have, no, you can't do that. And then they said, well, what we'll do, we'll have a moment of silence. Said you can't do that because it, it, it hurts somebody's feelings. So now you can't even pray silently. My Lord, I guarantee you, I prayed before a lot of tests. I want you to know that right now. <laughs> Didn't do any good. <laughs> Supreme Court said no, no prayer. 
By the way, you can't even pray before a football game. You can't even pray before a parade. Man, that, they must be afraid of prayer. You know that? They must be afraid of it. But you see, they legislate unrighteousness. No prayer in schools. Abortion, 1973. The, the government could assist a woman and, and she has the legal right to kill a baby in the womb. Well, that was a nail in the coffin of America. Prayer out of schools, abortion, uh, the removal of all religious scenes from public places. Can you believe they just took a cross out of a park in Pensacola that's been there for years? Why didn't somebody go there and demonstrate and do something? I mean, it seemed to me like people go over and put up three more and say, take them down. You say, well, you don't need to disobey. Yeah, you do if they're making you take away something that believe, you believe in. Let's go over there and put up three crosses. Anybody want to volunteer to see me after church? I'm, I'm kidding you. I'm not joking. You say, but they'll sue you. I ain't got nothing for them to get. Let them sue all they want to. No, you think I'm kidding. Listen, I am tired of being pushed around by a bunch of wicked court justices who don't know God and who treat us like uh, stepchildren. We put up with it long enough. Hey, by the way, you know why they say that pornography is protected? It's a free speech. Well, you explain. So they've protected now the, the, the uh, pornography on channels and, and they said it's because, well, it's free speech. It don't look like it's free speech to me. And of course, they, they said, well, we'll just cross the line and they said, we're going to legalize it. It's good for a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman in every state. It has to be legal in every state. That's legislating unrighteousness and wickedness and godliness. So how did we lose our greatness? The apostasy of religion, humanism, secularism, and hedonism being brainwashed, brainwashing our young people and brainwashing our society, fills the, all the media. All the media has humanism, secularism, and heathenism. That's all you ever see. And then with the court system, they used it to bully Christians and say, well, if you don't do it, we're going to sue you. And we, we buckled under that, and the rest is history. All right, now, how can you make America great again? I'm going to mention four things, but this one is the key. God really began to burn this into my heart. As I was thinking about how America lost its greatness, then I said, well, it's all about spiritual things, Lord. And then I said, but how can we help America rate again spiritually? I want you to get this. I want you to meditate on it in the days to come. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, those in heaven, those in earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God's exalted Jesus. Every tongue's going to confess that he is Lord now or later. Now as Savior, but later as Judge. Therefore, my beloved, as you've obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. You've obeyed in my presence. Now you keep on obeying Jesus in my absence. Uh, it says, for God is working in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Now we get into the verse that, I, that this is the one that it says, th this is one of them. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Okay, here it is. This is the way you can make America great again. This is the way. Every one of you in this room, no, nobody excluded, starting with me. This is the way that you can make America great again. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. He says, you are living in a crooked and perverse nation, but you are blameless and harmless and without fault. You're living a righteous life. You are living a godly life. They know you are a follower of Jesus. They can see Christ in you. You are light and you are salt. Look what it says. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now listen. How, how are those people in your class at school, if it's a public school, how, how are they going to know who you are? How are the people you work with going to know who you are? How, how are the people that uh, you socialize with? How are the people that live in your neighborhood? I tell you what they got to do. You got to be living a blameless and harmless and faultless life. And you got to shine. Jesus has got to shine his life through you. You can tell them about Jesus all you want to. You can tell them you believe the Bible all you want to. But unless they see Christ in you, unless you, if you're, if you're living the same way they're living and doing the same thing they're doing, why in the world should they listen to you and believe you? Because it's not authentic. But if you are blameless and harmless, children of God, living, shining as lights in a cricket, crooked and perverse nation. We have got to live the Christian life in the presence of a wicked and sinful world. I mean, we've got to do it. And you can't do it in your own power. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can live a blameless and harmless and faultless life. I can't live the Christian life, but I'll tell you one thing Jesus can. And if you'll surrender to Jesus, he'll live in you and he'll live through you. And the people you work with and live around will say, man, what have you got that I haven't got? Yeah, let me tell you who it is. It's Jesus Christ in me that has changed my life. And what he's done for me, he can do for you. But they'll never want you what you have until the light shines out of you. Boy, it's kind of quiet. I'm telling you, we've got to be blameless and harmless. The children of God who shine as lights in a crooked and perverse nation. They have got to see Jesus in his church. The life of Christ has to be manifested in us. In our business dealings. In everything we do. Our lives must reveal. My little children of whom I have travailed in birth. Till Christ is formed in you. I am crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. Oh listen, 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 listen. A life speaks louder than a thousand words. So let's live righteously and godly 
and holy. Does that mean we're perfect? No. But we're quick to repent. We're quick to repent. We're honest in our business dealings. We treat people with respect. We love people even though we, they're living in sin. We, we have a life full of love. But I'm telling you, they have got to see Jesus in us. And, and, and that's what happened in apostate religion. It's just, they brought, hey, they said, we can't change the world. So they brought the world into the church. That's what apostate religion did. They liked the world's music. World's music, dress like the world, act like the world. And so people come in and said, man, this is just like the world. I'll just come on here and just keep on doing what I've always been doing. I have said enough. I wanted to say something, but I am not going to say it. I'll tell you privately. Okay, so we've got to live Philippians 2. We've got to live it. We've got to earnestly contend for the faith. We've got to unapologetically say to a person, I don't care how, they may have more degrees than a thermometer, but you say, this is God's word. I don't believe it. Have you ever read it? Quote me one verse. Tell me all about what you don't believe about it. Challenge them. They, they won't. They, they haven't ever read the Bible. Somebody told them it wasn't the word of God and they believed them. Stand for the word of God. Stand for it. Don't apologize for it. They say, well, why don't you do, do so and so? Because the Bible says it's a sin. That's why I don't do it. Oh, oh, so you, 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 do, you try to do what the Bible says. Yeah, uh-huh. That's what Christians do. So, earnestly contend for the faith. Live a godly and righteous life. Be a fervent, you've got to be a fervent, prevailing prayer warrior. It ain't going to get the job done praying for America and saying, when you say, Lord, our country is in trouble, bless our, bless our nation. You're wasting your time. We've got to get serious about this thing. We've got to cry out like desperate men. God, we're under judgment. We're under judgment. If we continue to going the way we're going, we'll, no enemy from outside will have to destroy us. We'll destroy ourselves. We're a divided nation, absolutely divided. There's hatred on every side. Oh, God, oh, God, you know, you've got to do, Lord, I can't change this, but, Lord, would you intervene? Would you restore the fear of God to this nation? Would you restore the fear of God to the people? Would you, see, you know, this little two-minute prayer for, for the nation ain't going to get it done. Listen, we're in intensive care on a ventilator and a respirator and everything else. And I'm telling you, when you're dying, you better do something quick. And I am saying to you, everybody in this room can fervently cry out for this nation. I mean, just cry out, dear God, we deserve judgment. Dear God, we deserve hell. Dear God, we deserve to be cut off as a nation. But would you, for the honor of your son and for the glory of your son, and for the glory of your church that would be a spotless bride. Will you revive the church, and will you have mercy and turn this nation back to God? And the only way you're going to do that is as the church, as the body of Christ turns to God, only then will the nation turn to God. You're light and you're salt. I'm light and I'm salt. I have to be honest with you. I get kind of discouraged when I realize that I've been preaching now 60 years which means it goes back to 1958. America was different in 1958. But I will say this. I asked God this question. I did. 
I said, Lord, have I ever warned the people of what was going to happen? And he reminded me that in the 70s and in the 80s and in the 90s, I kept preaching, will God spare America? My answer was no, unless we repent, unless we turn to God. I've preached it over and over and over again. I have. I'm honest. I know I have. But you know what happened? People would come out and say, Brother Fred, I agree with you 100%. Go get them. And we'd go out and just keep living like the way we've been living. If you do that today, I've wasted my time and wasted your time. Listen, the only hope for America is godly, spirit-filled believers and a godly, spirit-filled church. That's the only hope for America. And that's you and me. And so we can't change the world, but we can change the community we're in by the power of God. So we can hear this and say, that's exactly right. You go on living like we've gone on living because we've got money in the bank and got a nice car, got a lot of having a lot of fun. I'm for that. But I'll tell you one thing, we might do that and this, we might be playing whatever somebody did when Rome burned. Somebody was singing when Rome burned. America won't die from the outside of an enemy. America will die from within unless we, the people of God, get serious about living righteous, godly, holy, spirit-filled lives, light and salt, praying, crying out to God, fervent, effectual, righteous prayer. Listen, God can use you and me to make a girl, help make America great again spiritually. He's not going to use the pagans. He's not going to use them. They don't know a thing about it. But he can use us to make America great again. If we'll get serious about our walk with God, serious about living holy and righteous and godly lives, serious about letting our light shine. And when somebody starts criticizing the Bible, you say, hey, have you read it? Here, I want you to know I believe every bit of it, and I'd love to tell you about it. And somebody said, well, you know, it doesn't matter what a man believes. All good people are going to heaven. You say, well, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is the only way. So silence is perceived as agreement. Well, I, do, I want to be tolerant. Forget tolerance. They're not tolerant. They're only tolerant when you agree with them. I guess my question is, what are you going to do about what I preached? What am I going to do? Now, I'm serious. Am I going to leave here and just like things are like I was when I came in? Or am I going to allow God to get a hold of me? And he needs to. And say, I'm, I'm, listen, it's desperate. We've got to do something. We've got to do it now. So we've got to pray. We've got to live. We've got to speak. We've got to stand. And you can do it by the Holy Spirit's power. I pray you'll do it. I pray you'll do it. You say, you know, Brother Fed, if we really take a stand, they'll, you know, they, they're liable to persecute the church. Oh, seriously, are you kidding? Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Persecution. 